2: Hi there and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true,
3: maybe all too true stories. I'm Karen, one of your hosts today. And I'm Selena, back again for the second half of the third season, ready to get into our fifth episode entitled, Will You?
4: And I'm Rebecca, also back again. In honor of this lovely season, this episode is about love and its complexities within the lives of three young woman authors. The sweetness of being with a partner, colliding with choice, responsibility to self, pain, and much more, leads them down unexpected and sometimes expected paths. Our first story is by an author who is choosing to remain anonymous.
3: Anonymous is a 19-year-old first-year student at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Her intended major is forensic psychology. She lives in Brooklyn and is the youngest of five children. She loves visiting all new places around the world. In her free time, she loves to read, swim, watch some of her favorite shows, hang out with friends, and what girl doesn't love a little shopping. She also has some sort of knack for listening. It's so important, she feels, to try and help others when they come to you for advice. It's such a satisfying feeling. So Anonymous always tries her hardest. She hopes this story touches you in one way or another.
2: Thank you, Selena. Let's take a listen to anonymous's piece entitled, L'chaim, To Life.
5: I can't. I just can't. I tell my sister she helps me pick up my skirt. (sighs) His name is Mark. Oh, he's beautiful. His eyes light up in the dark, and his muscles make you feel like you're about to fall to the floor at any moment, and his smile is so captivating. I tell him that it's manipulative. We met at my cousin's wedding, and the rest is history. (sighs) He proposed to me today. We spent our entire day at Roosevelt Island, and he ended off the day on the grass with a rink. It's a beautiful ring. I've never seen a shinier diamond in my entire life. Of course I said yes. That's what girls do. On the way home, I already knew what to expect. Everyone I know will be gathered at my house in just a few hours. It's the meeting of the family that we have in the Syrian Jewish community for every engaged couple. After the proposal, family and friends gather at the future bride's house in order to celebrate with them. We call it the lechaim to life. In any situation like this, the bride knows that she's getting engaged, but she just doesn't know when. Like me. I knew we'd be getting engaged. I just didn't know it would be today. The parents always know though, because they're the ones who need to get the party ready. I think about whether they'd showed any signs in the last couple of months. The best part of this event is all the dishes. I could already picture all the food waiting. My mom makes her special calzones, a type of noodles with delicious cheese stuffed ravioli. I'd been to these parties so many times, and today, now, it was gonna be for me. The party usually turns out to be so beautiful. The couple walks around the room, catching up with some of their best friends. All their loved ones are surrounding them to celebrate one of the biggest days in their lives. There isn't really music, but it's still exciting. Everyone is there for you. Everyone is there to congratulate you. It's all about your love. Your love. I make my way into my house and try to make it upstairs without causing a scene. My mom walks up to me and starts releasing tears of joy. But I gaze into my sister's eyes with fear. Come on, Allison, let's get you ready for tonight, my sister says to me with happiness in her voice. We head upstairs, and before we reach my room, I look back to see if my mom is watching. I see that she's not, and that's when I fall into my sister's arms. I've never cried harder in my life. Jen, what am I supposed to do? I'm not ready. It's too early. What if I don't actually love him, I ask her. I'll always love him, I think to myself. I bring myself back to the most amazing summer night. It's 11 o'clock on a Thursday night. I get a text from Mark, and as usual, my face lights up. I'll be outside of your house in 20 minutes. Let's go sit by the beach a little. I answer back by just sending about six smiley faces. That's me saying, yes, he knows that. Rushing to get dressed, I throw on a pair of jeans and run out to his car. We head to the beach, and we sit on the sand for three hours. Three straight hours. Three straight hours of pure talking and laughing. Three straight hours of happiness. Then he makes a joke, and I pretend to get mad at it. He hates it when I take his joke seriously. I get up. I want to go home, please, I tell him. What did I say? You always do this, he says. I begin running away, tons of sand just flying into my face. As he chases after me, I turn around and fall and start laughing. I love getting him worked up about such stupid things. I'm going to kill you, he jokes. I keep running until he catches up to me. We both fall to the sand and laugh until we turn red. I know that I want to get married young. My parents raised me like that. My entire community is raised like that. I'm okay with it. I don't think it's so crazy. It doesn't bother me. My community is full of expectations, and that's okay with me. Things just go a certain way, and people rarely stray from this path. We grow up together. We go to the same schools. We hang out in the same places, eat in the same places, and marry each other. Our grandparents come from a very tight-knit Jewish community in Syria, and they brought along all of these wonderful traditions with them to the United States. It's tradition. It's sacred. It's what I'm supposed to do. And Mark is my chance at fulfilling this tradition, fulfilling my dream. Plus, I love him. She starts to pick out an outfit and accessories from my closet. What do you think about this, she asks, disregarding everything I just said. How am I supposed to tell my sister the truth if she's not even listening to me? How can I tell her? My breaths won't come out. It's like I'm on the B train when there's an electrical problem. My legs begin to feel weak. All I want is to be able to grab the nearest seat. I can't catch my breath at a certain point. I need to get off. There are too many people around me. I have to tell her. I have to tell her why I can't marry him. But how? How can I tell her that... Tell her that the man they all adore cheated on me? How am I supposed to tell my sister that I stayed with him regardless? I think a part of me likes the fact that he plays hard to get. Cheating is playing very hard to get, but I liked it. Not the cheating part, but I like how I have to fight for him. I mean, with those dimples, anybody would want him. I'll never forget the day when he told me. It was just a kiss. A small kiss. Those were his words. It is just a kiss. But it hurts. I couldn't look at him for days. It was nobody. I don't even care for her. I mean, we went to school together, but never in a million years would I think she would be the one to destroy my relationship. I blame her every day, but then I stop and ask myself why I'm hurt by her. It's not the cheating that bothers me, but the betrayal. The fact that Mark could even do something like that to me. He hurt me. She means nothing to me. She'll always just be Emily from math class. He apologizes for days on end. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. It was wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. And my favorite? The second it ended, I ran straight to tell you. I can't bear to hide something like that from you. That last one makes my heart melt every time. I see the guilt in his eyes and I believe him. He looks like he feels so stupid. His eyes are practically telling me that he can't even fathom what he just did. It's as if he's asking himself, after only seven months, how could I do something like that? How could I just go and ruin everything? I forgive him. Because I know him. I hate him and I love him. How could I hate someone who had the courage to own up to his mistake? This does not need to blow up. Why can't I just put it behind us? Nobody needs to hear about this. It's between me and him and my choice is to forgive. So why am I feeling doubtful? No, you already decided that you're not going to hold this over him, I tell myself. I can't. The past is the past. Plus, what will his parents think? What will my parents think? Nobody breaks off engagements for no reason. At least they would think it's for no reason. Then I'd look impulsive and rebellious. They'll say that I should have taken my chance when I had it. Who knows when I'll ever get this opportunity again. Jen, are you not listening to me? I yell at her. Allie, what do you want me to tell you? It's cold feet. You're just scared. Get dressed and enjoy tonight, she responds. She's right. I'm just scared. That's all. I've forgiven him for what he did. That's it. It's over. I'm happy. So why do I look at the ring with panic in my eyes? Why does the sight of it as I attempt to avoid getting dressed make me feel anxious and scared? Here comes that train again. There's still nowhere to move. I'm stuck. Sweat, sweat, sweat. That's all I could think about. Where's the damn air conditioning in this place? He causes me so much anxiety. Why, Mark? Why? First you cheat, then you propose to me. I hate you. I hate your green eyes. And besides, I'm scared that I won't get another chance after this. What if this is my only shot? I can't end up being 27 and not married. I can't be like those other girls. No one will take me seriously. I have to get married right out of high school, just like all of my friends. (laughs) Girls in my community do not get married past the age of 20. If someone does, there must be something wrong. Social events make it very easy to find someone. It sounds twisted, but everyone gets along. Everyone is so alike, making the guys and girls very compatible. I don't feel forced to do anything. I just wish I didn't feel... I wish I didn't feel... If I go through with this, I'll be giving up everything. I want to wait. I want to learn. Maybe marriage is too much responsibility for me right now. (sighs) Most girls in the Syrian Jewish community don't go to college. They don't make a life for themselves. It's all about getting married, creating a family, and taking care of that family. I don't entirely want that life for myself. I want to go to college. But I love Mark at the same time. And he freaking cheated on me. He hurt me. I have to give up the things I want for someone who cheated on me. He says he doesn't mean it, but he still did it. It's not that I think he doesn't love me, but he kissed another girl. What kind of man does that? I cannot spend the rest of my life with a person who gives in to every small temptation. I won't be able to sleep at night. More people get onto the train. Can't they see that there's no room? Can't they see that I need my space? Everyone will be here soon. At least 70 people are on their way to celebrate me and this impending marriage right now. Soon they'll all surround me. There will be nowhere to move, nowhere to... I need to sit. My legs are starting to drop to the floor. I can feel the vibrations. I swear I hate him. I'm pacing back and forth in my room now, my mind wandering to ten different places at once. The vase on my night table looks like it's shaking along with me. But it's the terror in my eyes that cannot compare to anything. I look like I'm capable of murder. I really am capable of anything right now. Jen is still looking through my closet. Are you serious? There are a million outfits in there. Just pick one and get over it already, I keep thinking to myself. She needs to stop. She picks out the ugliest shirt in there. It's pink. Why would I wear pink tonight of all nights? There's no way I'm wearing that in front of 70 people. I love her, but man does she have the worst taste in clothes. Obviously I'm going through with this. As soon as I go down there wearing whatever we decide on, this is it. This part is really me saying yes. Yes to a wedding, one where I know what I'll wear. A ball gown and I'll dance it all night. Everyone will be happy and the fairy tale eats away at me. I want to feel like a queen on my wedding night. I'm looking forward to starting a new life. My time is finally here. Why can I not do this? Why do I feel so awful? You want this, I remind myself. You already said yes. What am I even supposed to do? I'll be the talk of the town. My parents will pretend that they're supporting me but be so disappointed. They'll be getting questions left and right. What happened? Who broke it off? Who did what? After the questions will come the rumors. I hear she's crazy. I hear he cheated. I hear her parents didn't like him. This will ruin him and maybe me too. I can't let down all of these people. I can't let down Mark. Seventy people are showing up at my house in an hour. There's no way I'm walking away. That's it. It's done. I'm doing this. Jen, I'm calling him. I want to talk, I say. No, you're not. Don't scare the poor guy. He doesn't deserve that, she says softly. If only you knew how much he really deserves. I mumble under my breath. I don't think she can hear me, but I want her to. I let her continue to get me ready, barely participating. I'm numb, but I can do this. I know I can. This is just a lot. It's overwhelming, but I can do this. Twenty minutes. Everyone will be here in 20 minutes. There's no going back now. Here comes the train again. I keep getting hit harder and harder. The air conditioning is blasting at 60 degrees, yet sweat still drips down my back. I hear someone knocking at the door. No, it can't be happening already. Someone's here already? Hi, come in. Allison will be down in just a minute, my mom tells the guests. I hear footsteps walking up the stairs and make their way towards my room. Stop, mom. Tell them to leave. Allie, hurry up! Jen, what's taking so long? People are here. Let's go! She yells at me in disappointment. I just want to smack her. I don't want her to be my mother right now. I wish Mark was here. He always knows how to make me feel better when my mother is driving me absolutely insane. Whenever my mom and I fight, he has a special line that I always know is going to come out of his mouth. She loves you. She drives you crazy, but it's good crazy. It's the crazy you can't live without. Then he jokes around and tells me that it's not like you're crazy. Where is he? I want him to tell me about the crazy. Even when I don't want to marry him, I need to talk to him. I need to calm down. Snap out of it. I quickly put on my heels as Jen zips up my skirt. I can't. I just can't, I cried to her. I spent so much money on getting my makeup done, but it's gone. The mascara is atrocious. I take one last look in the mirror. I don't like what I see. It's not the mascara. It's my heart. I can see it popping out of my chest. I walk away from the mirror and I pick up the phone. It rings. Once, twice, three times. Finally, he picks up on the other line. Sorry, love. I'm running a few minutes late, but I'll be there, I promise. He sincerely says I can hear the excitement in his voice. No, Mark, I hear myself say. Don't come. I can't do this. I just can't. We can't. Don't hate me. Goodbye. I put the phone down and look in the mirror one last time. My heart doesn't hate me anymore. And I finally feel like I've stepped off the train.
3: Oh, <laughs> that's such a good ending.
2: Yeah, it's so. Oh, it's Aww. just so relatable. It's yeah, we all know that exact feeling of getting off of this terribly rocky, rocky train. <laughs> <sighs> yep. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today.
4: Thank you. Um,
2: yeah, and for sharing the story with us. Um. So yeah, I noticed you. Yeah, you begin your story in medias res, which means in the middle of things. So what made you decide to begin your piece in this way? So I
5: thought it could be really interesting if I sort of start the story off like in the middle of the scene where you don't really know what's going on. But Mm -hmm. like you're sort of anticipating to get to know what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then like in the middle of the story... It comes back to when my sister is zipping up my skirt and like you realize like oh okay that's what was going mm-hmm. on
3: yeah yeah it was so nicely done when i was reading it it immediately made me want to like continue reading and then i picked up back at that point and like yeah. made the connection and i was like okay yeah. i see yeah. what you're doing yeah here. it really <laughs> like,
2: it really like like brings the listener in because it's such a like it's something you don't like Hear about like you don't like hear that and think like oh obviously this was happening. It's like zipping up a skirt. It's like skirt, a skirt. Do you, is you that is, is that what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> was, like,
3: like what's was, like one? what is yeah. So
2: yeah, so it's starting it like that. Yeah, that was that was just like it. Playing it was, with structure. Yeah, <laughs> playing with structure and it worked very well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, speaking of. Structure. Well, it's not really structure, but there's a reoccurring metaphor that appears throughout this piece. Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, at one point you say, it's like I'm on the B train when there's an electrical problem. My legs begin to feel weak. All I want is to be able to grab the nearest seat. I can't catch my breath. At a certain point, I need to get off. There's too many people around me. I have to tell her. Um and like every time you get this feeling you just kind of mention oh here comes the train again and I'm just wondering did that come to you as you were writing this or how did you come up with that cuz that's genius
5: I wanted to have like some sort of metaphor I guess like we mentioned in the beginning that could sort of relate to everyone for mm-hmm. the most part um and it was really hard for me to think of something and so I thought to myself when was the last time I felt like nervous and jittery and sweaty and Mm -hmm. I just couldn't breathe and I feel like we all know that feeling of getting on the train and there's a million people and you're like I just want to sit Mm -hmm. down yeah Mm -hmm. and I thought it would go perfectly Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. have like so many emotions on the train yeah so I just
3: and it works well too because you have like what like 70 people coming over (laughs) to your house so it's like that feeling of yeah the crowd and just yeah, right. also much.
5: Mm-hmm. So the metaphor actually wasn't as extended as it is in the story now. It was mm-hmm. just one sentence about me feeling nervous. And I said, I feel like I'm on the train when there's an intellectual problem. And then as I just kept revising and revising, I added it in at certain points where I felt that mm-hmm. feeling again, just to like keep it going throughout mm-hmm. the story.
2: Yeah.
3: Very
2: nice. Yeah. yeah. It's also like super literal, like a packed train. But I also imagine like a packed train but with your family and friends mm-hmm. and i don't know why that feels worse <laughs> it's worse <laughs> like even like, loving your family loving your friends no it's worse but when you're in a yeah. packed <laughs> <laughs> like i've i've like had like it's it's slightly relating like i have had family come to the city and um they're not used to being on trains at all so like being in a packed train with them it's just like <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: it just
2: feels super weird like with strangers you can kind of ignore them like you can ignore that pressure you can ignore um but when it's like family because Mm -hmm. i don't know like going back to the story it's like their yeah their expectations and Mm -hmm. their like like opinions that they are thrusting into this is what like matters and especially like culture like you talk about culture so much in this about how this is just what happens like it's just a common thing that you leave high school you get married Um, And you're like, okay, I'm going to get out of high school and this guy wants to marry me. So that's what I'm going to do without necessarily like thinking of yourself. Yeah. So I can just. Yeah. That's that's just like what makes it feel so well is like like all of those elements breathing down your neck.
5: I also just I agree. Like it definitely is very overwhelming when it's people that you love and you care about and you you care about what they have to say. Mm -hmm. But. I don't think that if he didn't do what he did, mm. I would care as much as I did because yeah, I see I understand that that's just the way things go and i've been i grew up people come out of high school and get married, and I really I get it and I'm okay with it um mm. first of all, I'm used to it, but second <laughs> yeah. of all, I just never had a problem with it, and I still don't have a problem with it it's the way I was raised, everyone else is like that. Tradition, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I really wasn't trying. When I made this point and when I said I can't get married right now, it yeah. wasn't because I disagreed with yeah. the tradition and mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. what everyone else was doing. It's just because I literally couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but with this guy, because he's right. the way he is, you know. Yeah, it's just right. not right. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah.
0: But you also wanted to go to college.
5: I did want to go to college. But I also think I would have... If I wanted it that badly, if I wanted both that badly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would have it been right. able to it out do something.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a really important thing to note too. Though, mm-hmm. I think we kind of like, I think I did that just now. We're like wanting to like, um, kind of like push that upon someone, where it's like, you can break the mold, and you're like, well, I like the mold. Right. I just. <laughs> you know, that's so funny. And that's, okay, yeah, that's, that, that's, like, very much okay. I just don't want that guy in the mold with me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I just don't want them in my train. Right. Oh, get nice. off the train. Get, yes. get off my train. I going to use that.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, so with that, do you have anything that you want um, listeners to take away from the story? Yes, for sure. Um, it's sort of, like, just come, like,
5: you feel it throughout the story that it was so hard to make the decision that i had to make like, mm. extremely hard i like every time i think about it i'm just like whoa, like nice like i, I don't know <laughs> exactly. how i did it, it just, <laughs> i don't know but um like really people just need and i know it's excruciating but like you just have to sometimes let go of certain things that mm. like just hurt you and don't make mm. you happy for like the better for yeah good things like it's hard to make decisions sometimes but you just have to do it it mm-hmm. might take months but you'll eventually realize that imagine like what would have happened if I didn't leave mm-hmm. like what happened yeah. if I got married yeah I don't oh. know I don't know goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. So you just have to make good like right decisions for yourself and not worry about what anybody else has to say because there's always another story and mm-hmm. everything will be fine and they'll forget about it they might not forget <laughs> but they just won't stop caring. Yeah. Like it mm-hmm.
2: won't be. As, other things will be so much more important.
5: Right. right.
3: Yeah. Move mm-hmm. on to the next. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. Amen to that. <laughs> Preaching over there. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you.
2: you. Yeah. Thanks.
3: Our next piece of the night is by a new author to Life Out Loud, Kiara Roland.
2: Kiara L. Rolon is a senior at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, majoring in English with hopes of becoming a successful novelist and professor. Raised in the Lower East Side of NYC, Kiara will be the first in her family to graduate with a degree and continue her education to receive her master's. She's also a loudmouth, proud Puerto Rican, a poet, salsa dancer, archery nut, and an LGBTQIA plus advocate. When she isn't reading or writing nonfiction stories, she's probably singing, watching Wentworth, an American Horror Story, or dreaming of a life with Leonardo DiCaprio.
3: Thank you, Karen. Let's take a listen to
1: Chiara's piece entitled The First Time. You're ready to call it quits. The electro pop music, the footsteps, the people all around you. You start to panic. There are too many to choose from. Which one will make your butt look good, you think to yourself? Sweat lines your upper lip. You keep finding yourself drawn to the leopard patterns. Will that make you look like a slut though? Why is this so hard? (sighs) The strangers in black, smile in your direction. You're sure they don't want to be here any more than you do. Wait, do they know? Know why you're here? It feels like they know. Know what you're here for. Why you're at this outlet, desperately searching. All to look sexy for Jay. (sighs) The leopard print underwear wins you over. As you approach the cash register, your fingers shake when they reach for the credit card and your leather crossover bag. Your mom thinks you're with friends, but no, it's just you. Until now, you didn't think you were the type of person to buy sexy underwear for something like this, but you can't help it. It works in the commercials, right? Women are always more appealing in lingerie, aren't they? (sighs) The sun cascades through the windows as you leave. It's as if Jesus is telling you everything will turn out okay. You don't know why you need that comfort, You're not really religious, something your mom can't stand. Then again, there's a lot of things she can't stand, things you can't control. Ever since middle school, you've stood out in the crowd, a lone wolf you like to call yourself. To everyone around you, you were that badass chick with the pink hair, or the first girl to ever date a girl at school. In other words, you're a disgrace to the Hispanic culture. You're supposed to stay a virgin until you get married, and you're definitely supposed to marry a man. Your mom doesn't even take you seriously when you decide to sob in front of her and whisper, I'm bisexual. Before you told her, you thought the worst thing she could do was kick you out of the house. You were wrong though. The worst thing she could do was say, in the most sarcastic tone, is that what you wanted to tell me? You're so silly. As you're planning to get naked in front of someone else for the first time ever, you think back on why you never did this before. It could be the fear of Grandma Ramona, embedded in your ear that every man is a savage and a waste of time. But Jay is special. Firstly, she is not a man, so maybe Grandma Ramona would understand. Probably not. Jay's face plays in your head like a movie. Light brown freckles lay on her cheekbones. She has small lips that sit bordered by dimples. You love that. And you love the way her face brightens as she rants about horses, how she teaches you how to play PS3, or whatever that game was, when you would have rather been reading a book about vampires. This was during your golf days. Her mom also thinks being gay is a phase. Sometimes, you think you and Jay disappoint everyone around you, except each other. Her mom always said how different Jay was, since she was small. It's like she already knew Jay wasn't the same as her twin sister playing with insects, making the puny North Carolina boys cry as she broke their heart. The way she used to write the wrong answers in math class just so the pretty female teacher would help her. It was like she was meant to be a boy. Later, she would go on to consider taking hormones and start to transition. Jay's mom noticed she was different, but she missed a lot of stuff too. Too busy juggling twins and an abusive boyfriend, I guess. Too busy to realize that her children were being babysat by a criminal with boobs. You are the first one that Jay tells the story to. She tells you how she technically lost her virginity to an object at the age of seven. So after a year together, having never been naked in front of each other, even once, you know that you're the only one that she's comfortable with. At least for this. You know you have to make this perfect. For her, and for you too. That's how you ended up at this underwear shop buying these leopard print bikini underwear. It's also how you ended up at Babeland, its sign lined in hot pink letters. Jade nudges your ass, so you open the door, but you can't. You find it hard to even approach them, so she does, and you walk through together. Every single staff member has a smile on, and your face is getting hot. Can they tell? It's as if they know, too. It smells like freshly mopped wooden floors, and the colors the sights, the toys, it's all overwhelming. There's too many toys to choose from, too many colors, too many sizes. You browse in silence, your eyes stay down, and you feel ashamed when you approach the nipple clamps, the anal beads, the handcuffs. Grandma Ramona never talked about this when she was bad-mouthing men. Who knew women could be into things as painful as nipple clamps? You continue to view the table with stockings where the board games are placed. Board games? This place has everything. Jay grabs your hand, excitement on her face, like she's just won the carnival game. She leads you to a back table. There, realistic dildos stand at attention all in a row, small, large, gummy, hard, and in every skin color you can think of. Ones with realistic testicles, ones without, ones with veins, and even ones in the color blue. You swallow your spit and glance at her, wondering if this is what she really wants. You and Jay continue exploring all that Babeland has to offer. You've been everywhere together, but this is different. This is not at all like the times you wandered around Hudson River Pier doing nothing, or the time you got lost at the Bronx Zoo and accidentally kept circling all the same animals over and over, all stuck in the same place each time, how you wanted to leave. It had been so humid and uncomfortable, you hated it. But Jay was so happy to be there with you, and it was worth it. It was even worth the $10 for those three crappy chicken tenders. You jump in nervousness as she brushes you with a feathered toy with an extended stick. You roll your eyes at her, knowing she loves to scare you when you are tense. You soon walk out with a bag and a smiling Jay holding your hand. You're happy. But as you approach the corner, a familiar face heads towards you. You scream fuck in your head as you throw the bag behind you. Your old middle school English teacher? No! He starts talking to you about his life, his new job, his yeah, yeah, great, good to see you. You pray that he lets you continue walking and that he'll soon turn the other way. (sighs) Once you dodge that bullet, you both approach Jay's building. The lobby man nods at you, already knowing who you are. You've been here before, but today's unlike any other day. The elevator ride is awkward. Tenants holding packages to their chests, staring up at the ceiling. They make no eye contact with you. They never do, really. But today you wonder why. Do they know what's in this bag? Do they know you're a harlot? (sighs) The ring echoes inside as each floor is passed. It's the same noise you heard when you were in the hospital room watching Grandma Ramona die. (sighs) When you're on the 18th floor, the door opens. This is where you get off. (laughs) Haha. Get it? Your breath becomes short, a gap between each exhale as if this is your first time on Earth. You walk through the hallway, letting Jay lead you. You know she must be nervous. This is important. This is special. Nothing can ruin today. You pray her mom doesn't show up. You pray that her bartender keeps filling her glass again by mistake. You pray she drops her keys before she can reach the door. (sighs) Jay takes the bag from your hand and stays inside the bathroom for way longer than necessary. You think to yourself that maybe she isn't ready. Maybe she wants to wait, and it's okay if she does. You'd understand, really. She comes out of the bathroom, her hair wet and slicked back. She reminds you of Johnny Depp in his younger days. She's smiling, grateful that it's you and no one else. (sighs) Hours pass, the food is gone, and so are your favorite jeans. Now it's just you, her, your new five-inch friend, and... Oh, wait! The leopard print catches her eyes. Her grin moves closer to yours as you grab her face. Already, your lips feel bruised. This is how it should feel, you think, organic and new. She brings you to her bed, the moon shining in, making her freckles visible to your eyes. Your feet try to keep up with her as she kisses that spot on your neck, making you squirm and giggle. You don't regret any of it for a second. Sorry, Grandma Ramona. Sorry, Mom. The leopard-printed underwear you spent way too much money on is totally forgotten. As she gives you, Her new virginity. That which you graciously accept. Gently, appreciatively, and spiritually. The way it should be done. The way everyone deserves. The way Jay deserves. You give yours soon after, trying to hide the stretch marks that lay on your waist. She watches you closely, how you stare at the moon once you catch your breath. Your eyelashes blocking what's stirring inside of you. The leopard print underwear is missing, but there's no reason to cover yourself up now. And then, just like that, it's official. You are no longer a virgin. You stare at yourself in the mirror, but you look the same. The same eyes, same hair, same fingers, same toes and legs. You eye the small red hickey that she's left and feel calm. You're not a harlot. Not at all. That was just a little voice telling you not to enjoy sex not to enjoy sex as a woman, not to enjoy sex with a woman. And as you look at Jay, still, and sleeping nearby, you smile because you have a strong feeling that both as a woman and with one, you will continue to enjoy it. Just a quick caveat before we
2: start the interview. This was written about someone, Jay, who went by female pronouns and considered themselves a female at the time. That isn't the case anymore, as is discussed in the interview towards the end. story we've heard yeah we've we've heard it a few times now and every time it's just like yes <laughs> thank yes. you it's just yeah it's awesome so thank you so much for sharing it with us thank you for having me
3: thank no thank you for coming i love your story it's like everything to me. yeah thank you
2: yeah, it's super yeah it's just like powerful and empowering and your piece is centered around the events and feelings leading up to essentially pun intended um a climax <laughs> um and you're able to capture it through some worry and some panic jay who feels more carefree scares you with a feather and you you jump and you feel like people are in the outlet or looking mm-hmm. at you and they know that you're looking to look sexy for jay mm-hmm. and you jump at your old english teacher and think everyone in the building thinks <laughs> that you're a harlot but at the same time you you want this but also feel this shame from everyone else so can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about why they may be um and you also bring up your mother mm-hmm. as being a disgrace to Hispanic mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. so how did that tie into the feelings surrounding this moment and did they go away at all after you lost your virginity to jay
1: um so i guess growing up like um in my my household um we were never really comfortable about like speaking about sex anything related to sex it was just like oh you don't have no body parts and you just gave birth and you know they're not having sex when really (laughs) you're like yes they are um (laughs) so um i was never really comfortable with the idea and then also just being pressured to like oh when you lose your virginity it's gonna be painful and you know you have to be married to a man and Mm -hmm. things like that so um i guess uh jay was was a little bit more comfortable than i was but also Um, more shy than I was I think I think I was a little bit more brave but the whole like panic of you know wanting to make everything perfect and um not wanting to be interrupted and then being embarrassed (laughs) and you know feeling shamed um yeah my 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 family just never like we just never like spoke about it very openly and I guess after when I lost my virginity it was like oh that's it like that was that was like sharpening a pencil like it was easy you know so it wasn't like yeah it was not rocket science um <laughs> so i i felt like the same person after i didn't feel any yeah. different yeah
2: okay that's awesome yeah. Did, yeah and did you yeah It. so it is like a sense of like just like okay like and it gives you that kind of like freeness because Mm -hmm. it is so like built up and built up yeah it has to be this way and with this person and yeah and it happens yeah you you could see that you were just like and that's it yeah Mm -hmm. and And yeah
1: and just like coming from like a hispanic like household like i guess the whole you know scaring them so that they won't you know have Mm -hmm. sex that also was making me you know like anxious about it because i was like oh my god you know all those things that could happen and (laughs) stuff like that so that was also what like made me um you know take my time when i was with jay yeah Mm -hmm. you were kind of like left to just figure it out on your own yeah like as long as like we both knew we were like comfortable then you know we were gonna like plan it out and stuff yeah Mm
3: -hmm. yeah So throughout your piece, you write about these confusing, conflicting messages that are thrust upon you, and you convey this by writing directly from one line to another that there is an expectation from your mom and Jay's mom for both of you to marry a man, but at the same time, you're told by your grandmother that men are a waste of time and will hurt you. What was the intention behind writing this in this way? Like, What are you trying to convey about this heteronormative way of them viewing relationships?
1: So um, I guess the whole like idea of of having sex um, was different for us because, you know, Jay wanted to um, transition and um, she wasn't comfortable with, you know, like being a female. And so I guess the whole experience was different than actually like being with a a male than a female. Um, And throughout the piece like it was just like my my whole like inner monologue you know like being afraid of what's gonna happen and like if it's gonna be perfect for her because i i wanted the experience to be perfect and um even though i know you know like nothing is perfect Mm -hmm. um i i was very um conflicted because i also wanted to make sure that like she was comfortable with it and she wasn't like um, second guessing things. And also I like, I didn't want to like be forceful either. I don't know, just coming from a Hispanic family, like you're supposed to have sex to reproduce and that's about it. You know, it wasn't like you're supposed to have this, um, healthy relationship. And so also, you know, not being able to talk about sex, it was, um, it was hard because it was like, okay, so do I be with a man or, you know, or do I just be celibate? So, Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, I've always like since I was a kid, like I, I never like to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I'm still like that. Um, and I, I hate rules and, and things like that. But I, <laughs> I, um, I, I knew what I wanted. And I knew that I was attracted to females since I was younger. And I knew that um, what me and Jay had was like real love. So um, I didn't really care about like the way my family Thought about like the gay community, I was like, oh, that's too bad for you, you know. (laughs) You continue on with your life, but you know, I'm gonna be happy with mine. So, yeah. Yeah. Wait,
2: but there's a part there that I think I missed. Mm -hmm. Um, so you said that Jay wanted to transition. Yeah, yeah. And I think I like, I'm like thinking back. I was thinking of hormones, as in just like Uh. hormones, like in the regards to like you guys are gonna have sex, hormones are amazing. I didn't think about it as like testosterone. So like, Mm -hmm. what? Yeah. So did Jay like? begin transitioning like after you guys are dating or like what and also what pronouns does jay go by right now
1: because even though
2: we know don't know Jay, i want to call jay by the they're correct so
1: so at the time that we were together um um she was labeling herself as a female and uh wasn't doing transitions just yet it was just like um You know, like her choice of clothing and things like that. And and then also like body hair, like wanting to let her body hair grow out. And so, um, yeah, she didn't get to the part where like she got to take hormones when we were together. Um, But she did feel, you know, like a little bit like more like dominant than I did. And I'm not on speaking terms with her right now. So I don't I don't know. Um, but I do know that that's like a goal of hers in her head that she wants to like fully, um, transition and, and yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Jay's a guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, um, he goes, he goes by the name of Joe right now. So that's yeah. Awesome. That's just,
2: oh my goodness. Yeah. How, how, okay. So do you feel like that changes like the story like at all or like, no, it just like stands by itself. Um, it was that point in time you're writing about a point in time.
1: Well, no, because, uh, at the time, like I was still like, um, like before we, you know, got sexual and stuff, I always viewed him as a boy and, um, just like the behavior and stuff, it was, it wasn't, you know, like very feminine. So, um, at the time, like I didn't really view, um, him as a female and, um, I don't now, so... Yeah, I, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of understanding and a lot of, um like, just listening to actually, you know, like, what was going on, um like, mentally and stuff, you know, and not not being able to, like, speak about it, you know, with her family. I was, like, the only one that was, like, you know, very open to it, so.
2: So, yeah, what do you want readers to take from this story?
1: Um, well, I, before I even, like, got to write the, the final piece, um... I didn't think it was going to be such a such a big thing. And even though it's such like a important experience in my life, I I want readers to know that, like, it's OK if you're like not ready to have sex and, you know, you shouldn't be feeling pressured by anybody to have it. And um, and then I also want them to realize that, like, there's a lot of different people out there in the world and there's only a certain amount of people that can. Understand my story and accept my story, and other people will be like, "What the fuck is going on?" But you know, <laughs> I <laughs> I just want them to realize that like you have to be as open and and considerate as possible, and just be a good human being, and you know, and just respect everyone. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. So, thank you so much for coming. Thank you guys for having oh, me. Thanks. Mm-hmm.
2: Our last story is by another new author to Life Out Loud, Sarah Ali.
4: Sarah Ali is a confident and passionate 20-year-old attending John Jay College of Criminal Justice. With a major in English, she hopes to become a writer and a poet. After taking a creative nonfiction course, she has found her calling in life revolving around writing and self-expression.
3: Thank you, Rebecca. Let's take a listen to Sarah's story entitled The Lovers. The Lovers!
0: My sister and I sit on opposite ends of her yoga mat as she performs a tarot reading of my relationship with Zo. The spread has seven cards. Three are put on the opposite ends of the mat and represent the influences of each person in the reading. The one in the center is for the question outcome. That card is turned over last. I don't have a specific question, but I do want some insight on where our relationship is heading. Then, the last card reveals itself to be the lovers. At the top of this card, Raphael gazes down at two individuals, a woman and a man, in front of the shining sun. He is the angel of air and communication. The naked woman and man stand near two trees. One tree has a snake representing the story of Adam and Eve and their fall from the Garden of Eden by giving in to temptation. Being raised in Islam, the story of Adam and Eve was a little different. For one, it was Adam and Hawa, not Eve. It always seems strange to me to see religious icons or entities throughout the card reading since I was never taught to associate this type of spirituality with Islam. The other tree is covered in 12 flames symbolizing the 12 zodiac signs. They stand atop green grass with a mountain and a river in the background. The man looks at the woman as she looks up to Raphael depicting the path of consciousness, physical desire, to subconsciousness, emotional needs, to superconsciousness, spiritual concerns. When facing upright, as it is for this reading, it means harmony. This card in this position may be an indicator of strong sexual connections transcending lust, suggesting a deeper desire. Or relating to moral crossroads and needing to make the right decision in a situation. (sighs) Okay, so you're saying you really don't care if I shave or not? I exhale, a tone of doubt in my voice. Listen, I dare you not to do it and see if I change my mind, he says. I'm telling you right now that I'm pretty sure I don't care and you shouldn't either. Years of insecurity of my own body fade away as Ziff teaches me not to care about what others, including himself, think of me. I remember the days where I spent hours in the shower trying to shave every strand of body hair. Even the smallest patch left on my legs or arms would make me feel self-conscious for the rest of the day. I'm sure my Indian ancestors were beautiful, but my god, were they hairy. Even the days where I did my makeup every morning before school or when I'd wear a push-up bra with the hopes of making my boobs look bigger linger in the back of my mind. But he insists I look the same with or without makeup, and eventually even bras would prove to be an annoyance. They just got in the way of him exploring every part of my body. Soon, I would agree with him on most of those things. When we first met, I'd stay quiet for most of our conversations. Talking was never one of my strongest qualities. At his house, we'd sit far apart on opposite ends of the couch until one day he decided to push me onto his side and laid his head on my chest. My heart was beating so fast, I'm sure he could hear it. I began to pass my hands through his long, flowy hair and calm down as we watched Mr. Nobody on Netflix. After that day, I learned to appreciate physical contact beyond just quick hugs or petting my cats. Before Zuff, there were days when I wouldn't even want to look in the mirror because I was so unhappy about the way I looked. This made it hard for me to even talk to people I was interested in. I'd never want to make eye contact and felt uncomfortable if somebody was staring at me for more than a few seconds, afraid they would see all the things I hated about myself. I would spend more time wondering what a relationship was like instead of actually pursuing one. But those days seemed to disappear as we continued spending more time together binge-watching comedies and cuddling under the blankets. It was like I was slowly learning to show love to myself and others, like I was being nurtured into the person I was always meant to be. When my sinuses made my voice sound different, he'd just say, you sound cute though. And when I get a haircut that I end up hating, he tells me, it's just here. With Zuff, I gradually climb out of the chaotic spiral of self-judgment that had been in my life since middle school. The first time we made love and every single time after that, he always took his time paying attention to my body's reaction to his every move. I was so nervous in the beginning that I didn't even want to take my clothes off. He reassured me that the second I wanted to stop, he would. He began by pulling the hairs at the nape of my neck while trailing kisses from my forehead, nose, and mouth. I took a slow, deep breath, but on the inside, my mind was racing. Continuing past my neck and then my stomach, he occasionally stopped to leave little red marks until he made it to the ultimate place of pleasure. His nails ran lightly over my inner thighs as the hairs on my leg would rise. My body relaxed enjoying this new sensation. After avoiding his mom for the first year of our relationship, I tell him maybe it's easier to meet her. I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy the adrenaline rush of sneaking around, but we've been together for a year now, and even though it's my first serious relationship, I believe we should take it to the next level. We're on the train now, heading back to his house. Only two stops away, and the nerves start to kick in. Dude, I don't think I'm ready, I say, as my thoughts spiral into the worst-case scenario of her walking in on us having sex or any other crazy thing that could happen now that I'll probably have to be at the house at the same time as her. Well, I told my mom I was bringing you over already, and I asked you like 70 times if you are ready, so you can't really bail on me now, Ziff claims. Alright, you're right, I answer. I just don't even know what to say. Do we lie and say we just got together? I mean, I can't really tell her that I've been here a million times without her knowing. Hmm, we hadn't thought about this before. Last minute, we come up with some story of how we met a few months ago in school. We manage to make it back before her and hang out in the room to make sure our lives airtight. My hands are shaking and I can't seem to control them. I never like meeting people for the first time, no less in an intimate setting. What do we talk about? We barely even know each other. The door creaks open. Crap, it's really happening, I think to myself. I make him go down the stairs first to say hello. She greets me with a smile and a hug. We go through the formalities of my name and academic progress. I don't mention my age since she might feel weird about the five-year difference between me and her son. I feel like I'm being interviewed since I'm the only one answering questions. Then she asks me what my career goal is. Instinctively, I want to respond with becoming the president of the United States, but I know that will sound arrogant. So instead, I say becoming a senator. Her eyebrows raise high and she just replies, wow. I wonder if that still seems like a faraway dream for me. The rest of the conversation goes awkwardly. More than once, she insists their cat, Bruce, doesn't like me. It's just that he doesn't know you, she says. Um, little does she know this cat has probably seen me naked, and we've cuddled in this very house more than once. So, his mother asked him after I left, is she Muslim? No, was all he responded, knowing full well that I used to be. Hmm. That's going to be a problem when you want to get married. <sighs> While I was born into Islam, by the time I was 14 years old, I realized I'd never felt connected to it. My mom respected my decision, but she would always say things like, I wish you'd kept a part of Islam in you. But as I grew older, it became even more clear that I would not, in fact, be keeping any part of Islam in me. I'm bisexual, my style consists of revealing clothing, and I don't really care about waiting to get married to be with someone. I was tired of feeling guilty about doing the things I loved. If I still followed Islam, I'd be going to hell. Better not follow then, I figured. And so, I lived my high school years as basically an atheist. Though I knew something was missing, I also knew that it wasn't Islam. Then came the day my sister introduced me to the idea of spirituality. That day, I felt liberated from the anger I held towards Islam all these years. Anger for it making me feel powerless, for it not allowing me to create my own path. With these new ideas, I felt like for once it was not a religion that judged the way I wanted to live my life. It was something else. This new practice involved meshing the morals of several different religions and systems of belief into one new way of life. One that could make sense here and now. I'm instantly absorbed by the ideas of chakra, higher enlightenment, and inner peace. My sister and I go back and forth for hours sharing research about these new concepts. Crystals and card readings become part of my daily rituals. I always pull a daily card from my goddess oracle deck to see what the day has in store for me or what I should expect. After all of my sisters got involved doing card readings, some nights we'd just get together and do multiple readings for one another. We create rings of crystals around the yoga mat, each one representing a different chakra based on the color. Amethyst is usually present since it brings a psychic energy and awareness. Every card and deck is rooted in spiritual symbolism, constantly adding different perspectives into our lives. Basically, in my version of spirituality, I am God. I decide what seems fair and positive enough to include in my life. I decide whether I want to eat what was once a living animal or not. Or if I want to have sex before marriage. Islam wasn't so accepting to these decisions. While hearing the words and thoughts of others are important, nothing is more important to me than what my own body and mind tells me. What my intuition tells me. And my intuition for sure tells me that Zuf is just the person I need in my life. From the first day we met, his sense of humor and I don't give a shit what other people think attitude made me like him. He didn't care if people mistook him for a woman because of his long hair. He didn't care about social media or having expensive clothing. I think I knew that my life would never be the same once he entered it. (sighs) One day while we're laying in my bed after we've had sex, he looks over to my altar and jokes, I think he used the crystals to drain my energy for black magic or something. I know he's just messing with me, so I brush it off by going along for a bit. But as time goes on, I realize that he really, really doesn't get it. It's obvious that he can't seem to wrap his head around my beliefs. He doesn't understand a lot of the more abstract things that define me, why I like to paint or write, probably because there's no tangible reward or answer given at the end. When he tries to paint with me, he sits and stares at the paper for a while. Then he turns on Bob Ross for instructions on how to paint a cabin in the snow. Once he realizes his painting looks nothing like Bob Ross's, he quits. I tell him to just let go and paint the first thing that comes to his mind, but he says he can't. He's just the kind of person that needs everything to be laid out logically. If it can't make sense to him, it's not real. He applies that to almost everything around him. Everything has to make sense. Everything, that is, except Islam. He claims he feels good going to the mosque to pray and fasting during Ramadan. That's the only feeling he ever follows blindly. As the rest of the year goes by, we let little get between us. We spontaneously go out for pancakes or anywhere that has vegan food. When school is canceled because of snowstorms, we spend all day in his bed. His mom ends up working on most of the days, so I rarely see her there. He spends the holidays like Christmas, which we celebrate because it's a time for everyone to be together at my house. He listens when I talk about my cards or crystals, and he spends lots of time with my mom and sisters who love him. Some days we'll all sit around the table for dinner to talk for hours about our cats and their strange behaviors. So, on the day Zuf tells me he thinks I should consider going back to Islam, I am shocked. I don't understand. What would make you think that? I exclaim. You've seen how spirituality has healed me. Why would I go back to Islam? Why? I think to myself. He's seen how my relationship with my family have improved, how elements of my self-confidence and self-love have grown vastly. I guess you could say we were having our first big fight. I was just, he sighed, thinking about what my mom was saying and how it would work if we got married. Why are you worried about that? I mean, we both agreed that we weren't ready to get married now, so why worry about it? A silence fills a tiny space between us on the twin bed until we change the topic altogether. So, have you finally decided what you want to make? I ask him over the phone. Things have been going so well that I haven't thought about that day that much. Valentine's Day is coming up, and we decided to make our gifts this year instead of buying anything. I get a plain wooden box and paint the exterior purple with images of the moon, sun, and stars. I burn my fingers with the glue gun as I try to attach paper decorated with clouds to the inner walls. The purpose of the box is for him to hold all of the letters I've written him since we've been together, maybe representing a physical manifestation of my love for him, to have whenever he may need some uplifting. It's worth the burn. At first he has trouble coming up with an idea, but when he finally has one, he teases me with hints that don't seem to add up. There's a paw and a base and little cats, he says. Sometimes I feel like I'm dragging you along, he says one day, holding back tears. Babe, I don't feel that way at all. I'm sorry you've been thinking about this this whole time. I mean, I feel like we get along so well together. I'm so happy when I'm with you, I respond. I know, but I'm thinking about my family and all of the issues it's going to create just by introducing you to the rest of them. Listen, you love me, right? And I love you, so why are we going to let everyone around us dictate if we should or shouldn't be together? Isn't it enough for us just to have what we have right now? I feel like we've had this conversation before. It's my 20th birthday, and while I'm feeling positive about all the changes that will happen this year, part of me doesn't feel that great. Zuf is excited about an impending management position, and I know there's a lot to be happy about, but I have writer's block, and my closet is filled with half-painted canvases that I've hidden away so I don't have to feel guilty about not finishing. My goddess oracle cards have gone untouched for many weeks and just sit in a basket surrounded by rings of beautiful crystals. Those would practically scream for me, but I can't bring myself to do a reading. I just keep thinking about the first time I did a reading for Zuf. Right from the beginning, my confidence felt shaken. Whenever I do readings for my sisters or my friends, I feel light and comfortable. But this time, something just didn't feel right. I knew he was a skeptic, but if he believed in a God that can't be seen, then why not believe in a few cards? I remember he had Mother Mary in the position for necessary energies to call upon. This meant that he was at a time where he wanted to be closer to enlightenment as was going through a religious experience. After it was over, I asked him if any of the cards appeared to apply to his life. He said, well, I have been feeling like I lost my connection with Islam, so maybe that's what Mother Mary was talking about. He still didn't understand the logic of readings, so I haven't done one for him since. I'm glad he's willing to try it, but I just can't stop thinking about that knot I felt in my stomach during the reading. For my birthday, I go over and we watch Game of Thrones and a few movies. We make our way upstairs to the bedroom, and then he gets an email from someone regarding his application for the management position at Walmart. It says his drug test came back inconclusive. But you haven't smoked pot in like five years, I say. Yeah, but I stayed in the room the last few times you and your sister smoked. It's my fault. I should have been more careful, he tells me. Of course, the only person he hangs out with that indulges in that wonderful green herb is me. Is this all my fault? A moment of awkward silence follows because even though he says it's okay, I know it's not. He really wanted this new job, since he was getting tired of writing, but now he'll have to wait an entire year before he can reapply for the position. He reassures me that everything is fine, and he's not upset multiple times before I decide to let it go. We lay on his bed until one thing leads to the next, but even during sex, he seems preoccupied. <sighs> what do you mean you have to go to Pennsylvania today? We were supposed to hang out yesterday, and we didn't, so you promised we'd see each other today. I text him. Things have been weird since my birthday. I know he's been avoiding me, but when I ask what I did or why he's treating me this way, he stops replying. I call him a few times, but he doesn't answer. School's starting back next week, and after years of intense period pains, my gyno finally diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome, so my anxiety is at an all-time high. I remember all the days when my cramps would be so horrible that the only thing that would help was a back massage from him or just cuddling until I fell asleep. It became a monthly ritual between us. He was always there. And he's still here, Sarah. Everything is fine, I tell myself. Right? I walk down the hallway and into my room, shutting the door behind me. I hate the person I am right now. I hate feeling desperate and needy, but with so much going on already, I need someone to lean on. I don't think I'm strong enough to handle this on my own. I begin to cry, not caring if my sister's partner or my younger sister hears. They come into the room to see what's going on. I try my best to explain. A few hours later, he finally answers my text, and about 20 minutes goes by before I hear his motorcycle coming down the block. For some reason, I wait for him to text me that he's outside, even though I already know he's here. At first, he sits next to me and tries to hold my hand, but I can't bring myself to do it. He gets up and sits at the opposite end of the bed. He says a lot of things, but some stand out more than others. How am I supposed to bring you around my family? I can't act you to change the way you dress because of them. And what about children? I should have seen this one coming because of our age difference. What are we going to teach them? How will they know what to believe in? I can't even pray around all your idols. Wait, what? My idols? Our children? What do you mean how our children will know what to believe in? I spit back. That's not really our choice to make. We can teach them about both, but I'm not forcing anything onto my kids. The look on his face is repulsive. It's like he despises every word I've said, like he despises me. I finally just ask, do you not love me anymore? Love doesn't matter, he says. I tell him if that's the case, then he can just leave. And he does so, but not before I say, I really did love you. I love you too, he answers. (sighs) The day we broke up, I packed up everything he ever gave to me into a bag and put it in the hallway. The last thing I rest at the top is the Valentine's Day gift. It's made of four small blue flower pots connected together, each one filled with fake flowers and little figures of cats. It's so artsy for him, like he really tried. I wonder if I should just throw some things away, but I can't decide what is garbage and what should be returned. After a few days, I text him to come get it all. When he stops by, I make a joke that's actually true. You look worse than me, and I was the one who technically got dumped. I could tell he's been crying. He looks drained. I had rehearsed a speech before we met up so I can get some closure, but I was barely able to get it out. Eventually, we just go back and forth, asking different questions. Do you really hate Islam? When you were with me, did you feel like you were going to hell? Did you watch the new episode of Game of Thrones? After some time, he calls an Uber. He says I don't have to wait with him, but I just tell him, it's okay, this is the last time we're going to hang out. Oh, is all he replies. We hug each other. And while I'm grieving on the outside, when he leaves, I can feel the relief of my spirit on the inside. I walk into my room and go straight to my altar to look at my cards. I begin to shuffle them, finally, for a reading.
4: Oh, wow. Yay. I love that. Wow. <laughs> That is very. That's mm. a very nice lesson. I love one. how
3: you it's end ending. on the cards. Like it comes back full to circle, that.
4: right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. It ends on like the like the highest note after all this. Like, <sighs> like I'm making a roller coaster like motion. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it ends on something that you just find so much like solace in and comfort yeah. in, which is really awesome. Um, and yeah, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you, thank for you so me, much, Mira um so yeah the way you were able to weave in and out of different scenes was done so well it was like little like a vignette here a vignette there Mm -hmm. how did you choose where and when you wanted to start or end scenes and did it come
0: naturally or take planning or um well to start it it came from like a small micro essay but it was like completely different it was really bad compared to the final product. But um, that's how I figured out like where I wanted to start. But like in terms of choosing like what scenes to include out of like our whole entire relationship, mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to show like whatever showed that this relationship was so supportive. But I still had to give it up because I felt like I was giving up part of myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So like right. you know, the readers could like feel the same emotions I was like why it was such a big deal to end it or to stay in it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a good. This is a good answer. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs>
0: No, it, it, it,
4: it's interesting because like one year is a long time, you know, so like being able to pick out so many good moments in that relationship that actually showcases what you're trying to go for is like really yeah. impressive. Yeah. So it was really well done. Yeah, thank you. So throughout the piece, there's these two themes that seem to be the most important of the story, spiritual love and romantic love. Before this story takes place, did you ever think that these two themes would, in essence, make you choose between them?
0: Um, I want to say yes only because, like, it's hard to be with somebody who doesn't understand, like, how much you're into your spirituality or your religion. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be of the same religion or the same beliefs, but it does make it easier if, you know, you're both people who are adamant about whatever you worship or stuff like that. So I did see it kind of being a little bit of an issue. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: And that moment where you, like, realize it, it's, like, little things throughout the way, Mm -hmm. like, didn't necessarily you felt a little bit more um, hesitant
4: to, like, read his cards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the whole thing, like, with the mom saying, um, oh, is she Muslim? Uh, That's going to be a problem if you want to get married Mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm.
2: And then, like, little things, like feeling like you were being interviewed by the mom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, like, little things that you kind of, like, brush off and you, and you kind of show not necessarily the brushing off but like the outweighing it's like mm-hmm. but look at all these
4: good things look at all these yeah, good exactly. things and then the
2: little things just like creep up on you yeah <laughs> and you have to like face them um when they get too big
4: yeah yeah especially the way that you managed to to, to keep that build up going Thank with you. scene after scene like yeah there were good scenes about like mm-hmm. good times with him but it also showcased those little moments as karen was saying
0: that just kept creeping up little by little
3: Yeah, so maybe you already answered this, but um, what would you like your listeners to take away from this piece?
0: Um, I think the most important thing is, like, self-love. Like, you have to love yourself enough to say, like, I'm in a relationship, but it's draining me of other things I want to do or I like doing. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to say, I love myself enough to, like, take myself out of this relationship. Even though it's beneficial, it's still, like, holding me back from fully being who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
2: And especially, like, when the other person is like experiencing the same thing, yeah, yeah. like he like, himself yes! like says, like he himself says, like I feel like I'm being taken out of this thing that i like I'm so yeah, he devoted lost his to connection. yeah, yeah. lost mm-hmm. his connection to 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 Islam was yeah with the wording, and so it's like if you're both in this situation where it's like, do we just keep ignoring this, no. yeah, you know you 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 reach a point where you just kind of have to realize it's better to, to part ways. yeah to yeah. Part ways.
0: yeah, for sure. How long ago was this? Um, Like, when we broke up? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, like, the fall semester, the mm-hmm. beginning.
2: Have you always felt that kind of, like, initially, like, you end this with such a, like, a note of such a, like, relief. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you, has that been, like, consistent throughout? Or what has that been like now, like, looking back and being like, yep, I made the right call? Or have there ever been points where you feel like maybe it wasn't the right
1: call?
0: I mean, like, obviously it was my first love, so sometimes mm-hmm. I miss him, but at the end of the day, I feel like I'm so much more happier doing mm-hmm. whatever I want to do now.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: That's awesome. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> well, with that, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you, you for sharing this. And yeah. That concludes our fifth episode of the season. Will you? We are so excited to bring you new stories in the coming months, amplifying these younger voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear about in creative nonfiction.
4: You could always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get some behind-the-scenes action. We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much
3: as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon, and good night! night.